chapter 3 and verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. And tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Do any of you like to matchmake? Don't raise your hand, <laughs> right? You've got a nephew or a cousin or a son or a daughter or a coworker. Oh, wouldn't it be great if these two got together, right? Now, I want you to see here a little bit this morning that what Naomi's doing is a little bit different than just a, a matchmaking, okay? Uh, Ruth has made this unbelievable commitment. Again, we go back to chapter one, right? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, that's where I'm going to remain. What a commitment for Ruth to leave all of the things that she knew to follow her mother-in-law. Well, now her mother-in-law is returning the favor. Naomi needed some security. She needed some food. She needed some help. And Ruth was the one who stepped in. And then Ruth, uh, even initially, Naomi had asked for Ruth to have security and to have protection. Even at Moab, she wanted her to stay with her family so she would have those things. And now Naomi, in doing this, if you will, cultural matchmaking here, she is looking out for Ruth. And again, it's easy for Naomi to do that because of her great commitment. Ruth's made such a great commitment to her. Now, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail too much, but I did thought it was kind of interesting. And I wanted to just make note of it just in passing here briefly. One of the commentators I read uh, kind of notched this a little bit. When you think about Ruth and Boaz, how do they get to know each other? Did Boaz say, hey, let's go down to the corner chilies tomorrow night and we'll see how it works out? Is that how it worked? Like in our culture, we have this really weird thing called dating. Okay? And on dating, there can be just a ton of pressure on young people, can't there, right? And it's almost like you, you have to put up your Instagram or Facebook or fake person of yourself and you're meeting someone because you, you're only going to reveal certain parts at a time, right? But that's not how Ruth and Boaz got to know each other. As a matter of fact, probably the first time that Boaz saw Ruth, what do you think she looked like? She's probably a sweaty mess. <laughs> she been out in the field. She was dirty. Her hair was probably a wreck. You know, she has all this grain and winnowing, you know, where they've been winnowing all the, the barley, everything all around. And just like, it probably wasn't her. If she had an ideal impression to make of a man, that probably wasn't the first time she would want him to meet her. Okay, but what the commentator mentioned, I thought was kind of interesting that in group settings, a lot of times there's an opportunity for you to reveal a little more of yourself without the risk of that, that dating pressure. And I want to encourage us as we think about encouraging our young people, that it's good to make friends and to go do group dating opportunities instead of the high pressure of this one-on-one -on -one thing. For what it's worth, I don't think that the Lord through the book of Ruth was trying to say this is what it's about, but I thought that was kind of an interesting point to consider, and maybe something as we just, especially are talking about our kids this morning, that we could encourage them. Even this morning, there was conversation to one of my second graders, oh, you haven't had a girlfriend yet? Where does that come from, right? 
we need to ease that pressure, ease that temperature, allow them to get to know people, and hopefully they can come to know what the Lord has for them in a little better way than that. Anyway, because Boaz is a relative, and you'll see that the word here is goel. I don't want to go too deep into that, but that's basically a Hebrew word. It means guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer. Naomi knows this, and so she has an opportunity here, and it brings hope again to Naomi. And so there's a few things that a kinsman redeemer does, and more than just uh, helping out a widow. And I wanted to relate those things to you just briefly. First off, a kinsman redeemer was to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. So if they had an opportunity, the person that could actually rescue another Israelite, maybe who had went into great debt, in order to rescue them, that person in debt, that person in slavery could uh, reach out to their kinsman redeemer and say, hey, can you redeem me out of this situation? And then my debt will be to you and I can have freedom. Another responsibility of kinsman redeemer was to avenge, to be the avenger of blood. Now, if you remember in Israelite culture, there are these cities of refuge. Remember that? There are six cities of refuge. And basically what would happen is if um, Rick and I were out uh, working the fields and then as we're working, maybe we're having like some axes or something and my axe head falls off and then it hits Rick and then Rick is dead. And I'm like, oh no, what has happened? And nobody knows the whole story. And Ray says, well, you know, Travis was really saying some not so nice things about him a few weeks ago. And he shares that with Vicki and Megan. And they're like, I think he, he murdered him. And so then what would happen is like, there would be this thing where if for my own safety and security, I would run to a city of refuge. And that would be a place where I could find refuge until actually a decision could be made. Okay. But what's interesting here is the kinsman redeemer is the what? He's the avenger of blood. So the kinsman redeemer is the one who would be the one to take action in place of someone who could not take action, right? And we kind of see that in all of these things, that re kinsman redeemer is the one who steps in when someone else cannot step in. He was also responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. I'm not giving you, I'm not going through all the scriptures on the PowerPoint, but they're all listed there. If you guys want any of this later, let me know. We can share these things. But again, these were responsibilities where that redeemer would stand in for someone who couldn't take care of the task. And finally, the one that we're concerned with here today, the case at hand, he's responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. So Ruth is our childless widow, and we're trying, she was hoping to carry on the name of Elimelech, her father-in-law, and Malon and Kilion, the sons, right? And so now they're asking for someone to step in, and the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, would step in and if, if they were willing, they could really make a difference and allow that name to carry on in the, the land of Israel, okay? And that's a big deal for your name to disappear, right? And so they really were trying to strive against that. And so Naomi has found an opportunity here. She knows that Boaz is, is a kinsman redeemer, and she's hoping that he will take up this mantle, take up this role. And so she tells Ruth, to go and to meet with Boaz. Now, this seems really strange to me. Does it seem strange to you? Right? Naomi says, here's the deal. Uh, Boaz is going to be out working. He's going to be working hard on the winning floor. And when they thresh the grain, I know what's going to happen. Then he's going to want to stay with that grain at night. Again, it's a time of judges. And we know the time of judges was like a roller coaster, right? There was this instability, little prosperity, instability, prosperity. I mean, 
there's always this stuff going on. So he's going to be one to protecting. We want to be about protecting his harvest. I mean, that's his income. He's going to be there. Okay. And then Naomi says, after you know that he's had his supper and he's had something to drink, then I want you to do this. Why would you wait? Right? So she's going to be sneaking in. Again, it's kind of scary to me to think, I don't know what kind of weaponry that Boaz would have had, but the whole purpose that he's probably at the threshing for overnight is he's there to protect. So if you startle someone who's trying to protect, what's going to happen? I mean, my mom and I used to play this silly game where we had a bi-level house. Still, she still has it. And whenever one of us would come downstairs, like if we knew that one was coming down, we'd hide behind the corner. And when they came down, we would just scare the living daylights out of them. Well, as I got older, one time my mom did that to me. And as I came down the stairs, she scared me. And I about punched my mom in the face. Because <laughs> I was just like, ah, okay, I can't hit you, right? I didn't know who it was. And this same kind of thing, Boaz, he's there to protect. And yet she's going to show up uh, in the middle of the night. Now, what I found out a little more, and this is where cultural relevance is so important. And we need to, to be good studiers of these things. That this was a sign of a servant submitting to their master. So it's not just a relationship thing. It's just not just a man-woman thing. But for a servant to basically lay at the feet of their master was for them to say, I'm willing to do your bidding. Whatever you need of me, I'm willing to help out. I'm willing to, to serve you. And so what I want you to think about, this is kind of an interesting situation because actually Ruth has a claim to ask the kinsman redeemer, hey, I need you to come help me out. Right? She could make that claim in a forceful way, and in our society, she would probably demand it, would you, right? These are my rights. This is what the law says you're supposed to do. You need to be the one help me. I'm the victim. You need to come to my rescue. But instead of having that attitude, what does she do? She humbles herself, and she takes the form of a servant, and she positions herself at the feet of Boaz. So I think that's kind of an interesting uh, picture of her. She does this in a humble and a very subtle way. And then along those lines this morning, I want you to think about that for a second with me. It's amazing how people will respond to us if we come to them in humility rather than demanding things, even though we might have a, a claim to those things. Uh, a couple of Monday nights ago, I was back in jail up there in Hamilton County, and we were sharing about the gospel. And one of the guys, basically, he had this similar statement. This is not word for word, but he's basically was saying in a very positive way, and he was expressing his agreement with the scriptures and about Jesus, but he said, well, Jesus never really said that we had to believe in him, but that we needed to love. What do you think that did in the preacher's mind, right? I think we need to stop, and I need to have an argument and set you straight right now, right? And in my heart, I'm like, ah, oh, this is killing me because this guy here, he really is trying to, to say in a humble way, I want more of this information. I want to know more. I think that loving people is good. I think that the Bible has good things to say. But when I heard that, my, my radar went off and all I wanted to do was I want to argue with that guy right away. Another buddy on my team, again, we're all from different denominations, and he goes to a church where the scriptures are good, but they're not elevated to the authority that we believe here in, in Baptist circles. And basically, we were having a quick discussion about, well, people that don't hear the gospel, uh, if they die without knowing about Jesus, he's like, basically was like, well, surely God has creative ways to handle those situations. And again, what do you think the preacher's radar did? 
Romans chapter one, men are without excuse because everything they need to know has been revealed to them through creation. That's not my words, that's the Lord's words, right? I'm like, oh. And again, his motive was good. He was trying to say, the Lord has a way to redeem and to put things together. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, how are we gonna work this out? Because the pen in me is ready to argue, like to just go to town with people, right? This, we can't have this. And so I'm praying, I'm sitting there, Lord, what do I need to do? I don't know. And so I wait and wait to the very end. And then basically, by the time the Lord could kind of calm down my temperature, I was able to change my tone. And I wanted to challenge all the guys who were sitting around that table that I said, well, actually the gospel, while it's inclusive and it's offered to everyone, it is definitely exclusive that only those who would receive Jesus can receive the hope that he gives. And it was so interesting, my friend who would, had commented on my team as we went out, he goes, Travis, that was such a good way to wrap all that up and close that to get up together. <laughs> it isn't so funny how the way that we take our tone in a situation can really change how people respond to what we're trying to do, right? We can go in arguing, we can go in trying to yell, and we can go in and say, well, I'm right and you're wrong, and here's what it is. But again, look how Ruth approaches this situation where she needs a redeemer, and she has a claim, she has a right to this claim, but she goes in with complete humility and sincerity, and that allows that situation to be different than it would be if she was a victim and demanding her rights. So here's what I'm challenging you this morning. Some of you have some people this week that you're trying to reach out and work with. Ask the Lord to give you the right tone at the right time. And it is right to stand up for truth. And we need to stand up for truth, but we need to do it in the right way. And I think that Ruth here does that and it makes such a difference in her situation. Look down in verse five. And again, you can see her spirit here as well. What's Ruth say to Boaz? He says, I will do whatever you say. Uh, excuse me, not Boaz, to Naomi. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, again, um, maybe there'll be similar things in a Moabite culture. I don't know. But this is a little bit odd, right? This could go bad, couldn't it? I mean, can you see Donna when maybe Casey's about 14 saying, I want you to go down and meet with a 40-year-old guy and meet him at night after he's had his food and his drink. And then while he's asleep, I want you to lay down beside him. I was like, ain't no way, that ain't gonna happen. I'm taking care of my baby girl, right? But that's the situation that's kind of good. Now, I don't know the exact ages. I did a lot of reading. There's such a variety of things, but we definitely know that Boaz is, is much older. You're gonna see it in this chapter as well. Boaz is older than Ruth, significantly older. And yet Naomi is sending her daughter-in-law to go lay beside a man after he's had something to eat, something to drink, and he's sleeping. That's kind of crazy. And yet Naomi, again, being a woman of faith, trying to seek the Lord, follow the Lord, and she knows this will be an opportunity where he will really listen to her and Ruth will have an opportunity to ask him to, to take his claim, to be that kinsman redeemer. And again, look at Ruth's submission to her mother-in-law. It's just insane, isn't it, right? She basically says, if that's what you need me to do, that's what I'll do. And my challenge to you today, this morning, is not so much for you to obey your mother-in-law, but for you to have that same attitude toward the Lord. Sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that we think are just kind of crazy, doesn't he? I mean, he asked me to come to Indiana, of all things. And yet here I am. All right? What's the Lord asking you to do that maybe you're a little hesitant? You're like, I, I don't know. But he just keeps prompting. He keeps provoking. And you know it's the Lord. You need to submit to that. Like Ruth would submit to Naomi. All right. John 14, verse 15. Be with the preacher. Bear with him here. I'll try to move through this. 
Words of Jesus. What does Jesus say? Whew, I can get on this for a while. What's Jesus say? If you love me, what? You'll keep my commands. Down in verse 23, Jesus replied, this is John chapter 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. But look in verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. It is not enough to say you love the Lord. It has to be demonstrated by our actions. And to disobey the teachings of Christ demonstrates our lack of faith. How many people do you know in your workplace that would say they're a Christian, but would disagree with tons of things that Jesus teaches in the Bible? It doesn't line up, does it, right? If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. I mean, the Lord has been convicting my devotions this morning in 1 John chapter 3. And basically it says, no one who continues to sin is part of the, the Father. Anybody here still sinning? Whoa, right? And again, that reminder is that we need to have that submissive heart that when we get convicted and the Lord shows us where we're wrong, it's not a, well, Lord, you're just gonna have to forgive me for this. No, it's a, Lord, I wanna forsake this and I want everything you have for me because I wanna follow you with all my heart. That's the expectation. Man, the Lord just really pounded on me that today. Look down at verse seven. So when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down far into the grain pile and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. But in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are our guardian redeemer of our family. Now, like probably most men or most people, if you've had a hardworking day, you've had a good meal and something to drink, you're going to crash hard, right? I'm going to say that I think Boaz probably had a really good conscience, so that's why he could sleep so good. <laughs> but what is interesting is Ruth sneaks in, like he's supposed to be taking care of the stuff. <laughs> and here this woman has snuck in and he's asleep. And in the middle of the night, for whatever reason, he is startled and wakes up and then he is really startled, right? Think about that, right? Well, who are you? It's dark. There's no lights here. What are you doing? Oh, it's, it's me, Ruth. And then she, she sets out this statement. Spread the car, corner of your garment over me. And now I think that would click with Boaz because he knows that he is, for his extended family, a go-well. He is one of the redeemers, one of the kinsman redeemers, the guardian redeemers. Ruth invites Boaz to fulfill his duty as the redeemer. Uh, basically, it, it, to put it in my words, she says, I am a widow, take me as your wife and redeem the name of your kinsman. That's what she is doing by doing this cultural custom, by uncovering the feet. And then she says, take that garment and put your wing over me, cover over me. Uh, let the name of my husband, let the name of my family, Elimelech, let it continue. Don't let it disappear from the face of Israel. Whoa, right? And what an impact it has on Boaz. Look down at verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. And although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Verse 13, 
stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Well, what's Boaz's response to Ruth? Lord bless you, right? He is thrilled. Again, this could have went a whole different direction. But the Lord's hand was in this setting. And the Lord was guiding Naomi and Ruth's humility and Boaz's noble character is all coming together. And so he speaks the Lord's blessing on her. He is impressed with her wisdom. And immediately he offers security to Ruth. He says he'll do all that she asks. Ruth has found grace in the eyes of Boaz. Now think about this for a second. Again, in our culture, uh, sometimes it's not just ours, but many cultures, it would be rather odd for a person of a native culture to be marrying someone of a different culture, right? Boaz sees beauty in the heart, in the character of someone who is much different than him. And I think that speaks to his character. Not only that, but it's not so much his beauty that he notices about her, but it, her reputation. Did you hear that? The whole community, the whole town knows that you are a woman of noble character. Here's what I want to share with you this morning, this brief thought. Even though you are different, people will recognize your character. Even we got to go to the men's retreat. We went in that crazy, I shouldn't say crazy, but for us it was crazy. It was very different. A discount store. It was an Amish discount store. People who were speaking a different language at times, speaking Pennsylvania Dutch, who were wearing way different clothes than us, but their spirit and their faith and their kindness was evident, even though they were strange to our culture. And if you're going to live a Christian life, you're going to be strange in some people's culture. Hello? They're going to think you're downright weird. You, you what? You do this church thing? You pray? You, you eat bread and drink juice in commemoration of, of what? You think someone really rose from the dead and that when you die, you're, this is strange, right? But what I want you to see from the lesson here, Ruth, is that people will notice your character. If you're a person of your word, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person of kindness and compassion, people are going to notice that. And they noticed it about Ruth. Not only did Boaz notice it, but the whole community noticed that. And this word for noble really struck me. And I want to make sure I share this with Michael because I thought this would be very interesting to him. Literally, Boaz calls Ruth here a high-yield woman. That's that word noble. And this word, its, it's meaning is strength, moral strength, and good quality, integrity, and virtue. The same word is used in a term for heroes. And in the Bible where they talk about a mighty man of valor, David's mighty men of valor, that same word is used for them as what Boaz uses here about Ruth. Isn't that interesting? She is a woman of heroic stature because of her commitment, her kindness, her integrity, and uh, her, her valor, if you will. We need to be developing our young people to be people of valor, people that will be of noble character. Another thing I noticed about Boaz in this passage is he's not the first in line, and he's going to follow procedure. Right? I, I don't know Boaz's heart. Maybe he sees Ruth, and he's just completely smitten with her and loves her. And in some cases, that would cause people to skirt the system, wouldn't it, right? to find a way to do it different. But here Boaz says, I want you to know there's someone closer than me. 
and he has that opportunity before I do, and we need to see if he will redeem you. But he doesn't just leave it there, does he? If that person won't do it, guess what? I will, right? He's making sure that she knows about doing things the right way. And I want to tell you this this morning, this is where the, kind of the theme of the message today, is that the character of these two people make a difference. Ruth's character makes a difference, and Boaz's, his value, integrity, his character makes a difference. Look down at verse 14. <clears throat> the Bible says, so she laid at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing, hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Now, this seems a little odd, doesn't it? Again, you got this age discrepancy. It's the middle of the night, this young woman, this old man. And so I think this is a lot of penology here. So bear with me, all right? I think on the one hand, Boaz was concerned about Ruth's safety. She snuck in there. He doesn't really want her heading home in the very middle of the night because who knows what else she might run along the way. But he's also concerned about her reputation. And I think part of it too, and again, this from what I've studied a little bit, that I think he was concerned. He didn't really want word getting out that Ruth had gone to the second choice for kinsman redeemer ahead of the first choice. So he was protecting that a little bit for her reputation, but also just the fact that Boaz says, no one must know that a woman was at the threshing tonight. He cared about her reputation, but he also cared about her safety. Young men, think there's a lesson there? Whew, that'll preach, wouldn't it? We need our young men to care about women's safety and their protection and their reputation. We could go down a road for a while there. We won't, okay? Just take that with you, save that for later, but make sure we encourage people in that means. All right. Just a quick quote here from Mark Driscoll I thought was good. Ruth did indeed trample many uh, cultural taboos. She was younger than Boaz. He was older. She was a servant. He was the boss. She was a Moabite. He was an Israelite. She was completely poor, and he was very rich. She was a woman, and he was a man. And yet the Lord, in spite of all those differences, was bringing hope to Naomi and the whole family of Elimelech. Don't let the differences get in the way of what God can do in your life, right? Again, we see Boaz's provision, protection. He gives her the six uh, uh, measures of barley, puts it in the shawl so that she can go home and take care of Naomi. <clears throat> On the one hand, it's so interesting to me how Naomi is having Ruth follow cultural norms to have this happen. And there's so much to overcome. But again, it's important for us to get the mind of the Lord so that we know when we need to go against the norm. All right, verse 16 through 18. So when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. Wouldn't you like to have sat in that conversation that night? That would have been amazing. Verse 17, and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-headed. He's kind of a schmoozer, wasn't he, right? <laughs> Make sure you take care of your mother-in-law as well. Verse 18, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi knows how this whole thing works, doesn't she, right? Uh, and to some extent, you're kind of like, is she orchestrating? But the Lord is orchestrating, but she's definitely found an opportunity, and she is asking for that claim to be had. And that is a completely appropriate in this situation. Again, our culture, it's a lot of it seems super strange. But Israelite culture, this is, is very acceptable what Naomi's doing. And here's the whole point of the thing now for Naomi. Just two chapters back, 
she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. My life is bitter. And this one little girl with this great big faith and great big commitment says, I'll go with you. She gets out, she walks the fields, she gets the grain. She's obedient to Naomi and obedient to Naomi's God. And then hope starts to, to peek back in in a place where hope hadn't been for a long time. And it's going to keep coming, isn't it, right? It's going to keep coming. And now all of a sudden, Ruth's got this spark, and she's seeing how much that Boaz cares for her, and he's going to provide for her. She sees what's doing in Naomi's mind and life. And we guys, again, I keep ruining the end of the story. But they're from Bethlehem, and they're going to have a son, and they're going to have a grandson who's going to have a sling, who's going to kill a giant, who's going to change the world, <laughs> who's going to have many, many down his line until this little baby's born uh, that we celebrate at Christmas time, who's going to offer redemption to the ends of the earth. This little Moabite girl that everybody else thought was a little poor Moabite girl, what she worth. God says, I'm going to change the world with her. Today, I don't know where you're at. I know you're in different places of struggle, happiness, and sadness, and fighting. Just to remind you again, don't let despair win that, that fight, right? The Lord is there for you. He loves you. He loves to take the underdog and change the whole story. And the message today for me is, again, that picture of character. Ruth impresses Boaz because of her noble character, and her character opens the door for redemption. Boaz was also a man of noble character, and he was concerned to protect and to secure and to care for Ruth, to provide for her family, but also to do things in the right way. And my message is character matters. Character matters. And my old preacher, Brother Ed Hollis, he used to say that uh, character is what you are when nobody else is around, right? When nobody else can check in, and you said you're on the diet, but then you go for the donuts, amen? When nobody else is with you late at night and you're in the room and you can watch whatever you want to watch, you can listen to whatever you listen to, what are the choices you are making? When nobody else sees that you can take a little extra money and you can hide it and you know you can get away with it, nobody would ever know. Character is what you do in those situations. And what I'm telling you this morning is you've got to make those choices in the power of the Holy Spirit. It isn't about you being a better person. It's about you being reliant upon God who created you and then obeying him as he leads. Just like Ruth said to Naomi, well, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. We need to say that to the Lord this morning. I want to ask you today to ask the Lord, help you become the person of noble character that he wants you to be. Let's stand this morning. Again, just as you stand there quietly today, would you kind of think back through the story of Ruth and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to take with me this week from what I've heard and what I've been listening to and what's been impressed upon my mind? Or what do I need? Who do I need to serve or how do I need to submit myself? What do I need to do to honor you on this day? And maybe uh, there is an opportunity for you to be intentional, for you to show love and protection to someone. So let's go ahead and bow our heads this morning, close our eyes, and let's go before the Lord and just ask him to guide us and to make the right choices.